Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Newby and Brian Perkins, breaking down all things Seahawks. The Seattle Seahawks have just about locked up a playoff spot after taking down the Vikings 21-7 on Monday Night Football. He's Brian Perkins. I'm Judah Newby. This is the Game Plan Podcast. Perkins, it did not look pretty all the time, but that final score sure does. 21-7. Defense showed up to play in a big way, as did the running game. And despite a lackluster performance from Russell Wilson, this was a solid statement victory for the Seahawks. And now they're only one win from officially clinching a playoff spot with still three games to go. Yeah, the, the score indicates that it was a very comfortable win, which it wasn't, but it should have been. So it feels like the score justifies the way the game was played for 95% of the time. Yeah. I mean, I know that sounds bizarre, but uh, it was nice, you know, down to the wire, which I think a lot of us were thinking, oh, my God, here we go again. The Vikings are going to somehow take a lead. It's going to be 7-6. And now Seattle's going to have to drive down the field, and then we're going to have to rely on freaking Janikowski for like 50 yards to win this game. But uh, you know what? The defense came up huge in this game. Despite Wilson playing one of the worst games of his career, you know, has some big runs, has a big run late in the game and makes enough plays to uh, get this team over the top as we are accustomed to seeing him do. Are you more impressed by the running attack of the Seahawks against Minnesota's vaunted rush defense? Or more impressed by Seattle's defensive effort against a Minnesota offense that, yeah, they've been underperforming lately, but they still got the names in Kirk Cousins and Dalvin Cook. And, of course, they're all pro receivers in Thielen and Diggs. Yeah, that's a great question because I think that I'm becoming more and more impressed with Seattle's offensive line. Mm -hmm. You know, Fluker's out and you're going, oh, crap, here we go. You know, and Simmons comes in and just plays another immaculate game. And, and you see this every now and then, right? Like a – a lineman will go out and some guy comes in and plays really well. And then the next week he's not as good. And then, you know, he kind of falls off and you're like, oh, that's why he's the backup. But, you know, Simmons played great again yeah. uh, for a second time for Seattle this season. And I mean, I, I mean, if you want to run the football, I think that that if if this coaching staff, I hope, has learned anything, it's that it's that, my God, you have to have a, an, an offensive line full of competent players and you have to have every single player playing at the very least at a mediocre level, because if you have anyone that's, that is, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link on the offensive line and um, Solari coming in, I've now realized is the biggest move they could have possibly made this off season. Yeah. And uh, it was certainly the right one to make. It makes you wonder what Daryl Bevel could have done with Mike Solari as opposed to Brian Schottenheimer. But you know, I, I do think that Carroll probably had that in mind as well. I mean, he he knew he needed to make wholesale changes, so he did. Um, but you wonder how much Bevel was handicapped by Cable's offensive line coaching. You wonder. Well, yeah, and, and you know, you have to think, too, that a lot of times, you know, running back was in there as an extra blocker mm -hmm. uh, in the Bevel era. But Bevel, I mean, one of the bigger differences I've seen between these two coordinators is that Bevel really liked to utilize wide receivers in the passing game. And we have not seen that at all this season, virtually. Wait, wide receivers in the passing Excuse game? Excuse me, running backs in the passing game. Right. He likes to, He really liked to utilize you know, McKissick, ProSize, even back in the day, Marshawn uh, out of the backfield. And you don't see that at all. And in this game, you, know, you, you see Mike Davis is dinged up. Um, Penny is deal was dealing with an ankle injury going into the game as well, so you wonder how healthy he was, and you're like, man, maybe this is the time that McKissick uh, 
uh, you know, he's he's back from the injury. Maybe they finally kind of utilize him in the passing game and he becomes a third down guy and a kind of a threat. Nope, didn't see him at all. So I think that that's kind of, you know, one of the differences, I don't know about you, Judah, that I've noticed between these two, and you're right. You have to wonder if you had the competent offensive line. You know, Bevel was a pretty creative play caller. Mm-hmm. Would he have been able to call a better and more efficient game plan had they had a competent offensive line? And the more I, and more you watch the Raiders, you realize just how terrible Tom Cable is at, at his job. Yeah, and I think any play caller will tell you that, you know, he needs to have a competent offensive line in order to get creative because you need the time, you need the space, you need the previous execution to set up creativity. You saw it in this game. Even Brian Schottenheimer, you know, by, by you know, utilizing Lockett and fly sweep motions, which is part of the Schottenheimer offense in general, any pro-style offense, they were able to get the fly sweep motion with Lockett, fake it to him, fake one to Carson, and come back with that ball up the right sideline to Lockett for about a 20-yard gain. And it's a little stuff like that that you are only able to get into the play sheet if you're running the football conventionally well. And Seattle keeps running it so well, and I continue to be impressed with the regular runs of Chris Carson. I'm talking about the normal, typical three yards in a cloud of dust. Carson turns that into 4.3 yards in a cloud of dust every time, even if he's getting hit within a yard or a yard and a half of the line of scrimmage. Like, he is still going forward, and his momentum and his inertia always goes forward. It was amazing how much on first down he was picking up four and five yards and making it second and medium and third and short. It was uncanny. This guy is playing at his peak level, and it won't show on explosive runs all the time. It shows on the first and second down runs when you need to get four yards. Carson is producing that, and it's really impressive. Similar in a lot of ways to Lynch when he was in Seattle, and I mm-hmm. think that Carroll understands the value in that is, uh, you know, it's it's nice to have a guy that can make you miss and can be a little bit more tricky like a penny right, who may go down a bit easier. But, you know, when he gets to the outside, all of a sudden he can make creative plays. But you're right. You know, nine times out of ten, you're not going to have those opportunities and you're going to fall forward or you're going to need to fall forward. And if you have guys that go down easy, aren't able to get those extra yards, all of a sudden we're talking about two-and-a-half-yard runs, three-yard runs. Instead, you're getting four and five, and that sets up a second down and five or a third down and five, which makes, obviously, uh, opens up your playbook a ton. So... I completely agree, and it's something that's been missing a little bit. You know, Seattle's had some bruisers, you know, Rawls, uh, but he was just so injury-prone. You know, they've had some guys there, but Carson has become that consistent guy that can make those types of plays and break tackles for an extra couple yards that we are used to seeing in Seattle. Now, sticking with the offense, what do we make of this performance by Russell Wilson? 10 of 20, 72 yards, 3.6 yards in attempt, a pick, no touchdowns, a couple of sacks, a QBR of 47.5. You mentioned it earlier, but statistically it is one of his worst games with the with the Seahawks. Is it cause for concern? You know, what do we attribute it to? I know there are a variety of things that happened throughout the game, but he did miss a lot of throws. He, he underthrew some deep balls, and uh, the mistake that he made at the end of the half with no timeouts, allowing himself to be pressured like that and eventually uh, throwing the interception under duress, you can't have that from a veteran quarterback. No, that that play was the most baffling of all of them, right? There's 16 seconds left, and I get a lot of people are blaming Carroll for the clock management there, but they were fine. They had plenty of time to run three plays there and kick a field goal if they had to. But in that situation, as a quarterback, you need to understand that if your first read isn't there, you need to get rid of the ball, like immediately. And for some reason, and we've seen – We've seen this season the progression of Wilson where he's not doing as much of the spinning and the trickery in the pocket. He's 
moving up. He's moving to the side. He's trying to get out of trouble, and he's throwing the ball away. And that was a little bit of a flash of an old Russell Wilson, except for he wasn't able to get out of trouble, right? And then he throws the pick. And they're lucky that wasn't a pick six, right. honestly. Yeah. Because I thought when that ball was floating. The angle and the space and yeah. the speed of Kendricks, like yeah. he should have easily taken that to the house. I can't believe he didn't, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, it was like he slipped or something yeah. weird and, and fell. I mean, seriously, that should have been a pick six. So they were lucky it wasn't even worse than it was. That would have been seven six at half, right? and that would have been or no seven three a at ghost half. of what was that against Tampa Bay in twenty thirteen? Mm-hmm. Where or was it Tennessee at the end of the half? They like go to kick a field goal, well, yeah. gets blocked. And John and, Ryan or, missed the snap, and then he threw it, and it got intercepted and returned for yeah. a touchdown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that play was extremely baffling, and I, I I I don't understand how people are blaming coaching on that, but whatever. Nah, but, it's not that. That's on Russ. But th- but also you have to remember, you know, the more touch touchdown that wasn't should have been a touchdown probably if he drags his foot. Um, so it wasn't all on him clearly. And Baldwin, and that was a dime. It was. It was, it was a great throw. Dime. I, I more needs to, you know, he makes a lot of great plays for a young receiver, but there are moments where you're like, wow, he is far from a refined <laughs> yeah. uh, product. Like yeah. he had three feet to get one foot down and couldn't do it. That's why it was so gut wrenching. Yeah, and when you're missing Baldwin, you know, a lot of people are saying. You know, you you kind of got, before the game, you're like, all right, they're missing Baldwin, but mm-hmm. you know, Baldwin hasn't been as big of a factor this year because he's been so injured. Well, that's where you miss him, right? Because he's not even an option, and now you're forcing a guy like David Moore, uh, who's still clearly pretty raw, into uh, you know tough situations. And Lockett's played really well this year, but that's only one option. Mm-hmm. You don't have really a good receiving tight end option right now um, because that's not how they designed the team, uh, but. Yeah, Russell Wilson did not play well, but you know it's one of those you throw it in the bin, you got the win, and and you move on because you know he's going to play better than that down the stretch. Yeah, and he mentioned it in his post game. They're not always going to look pretty, but we just want to win, and that's what he, they did. And now he's got more wins through his first seven seasons than any quarterback in NFL history, continuing to make each of those marks through every season that he plays. Most impressive defensive performance. Uh, hard not to say Bobby Wagner just for the amount that he was all over the field, finishes with a team high, nine tackles, including four solos, and he did get a quarterback hit along the way as well. And the most iconic play of the night, leaping over his own teammates, allegedly, and the Vikings offensive line on a field goal attempt and blocking that field goal attempt. Number 54 in the action green. He is a pleasant football player. He is, and it was nice to see him excel on Monday Night Football on in a national stage because mm. – He's consistently overshadowed, and it's always it's always Keekley's the best you know inside linebacker in the league. And to me, that's just BS at this point. Um, they're both really good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not between trying. health and and production. It's it's Bobby. Yeah, it's Bobby. Yeah, and in my opinion, it's not that close anymore. But it, obviously, Keekley was extremely extremely good for a long at time. At his peak, I, yeah, insane, insane. insane. Yeah, insane. the best, if not you know one of the best, if not the best in the league for sure. Yeah, but. You know, it, it it does feel a little bit. I'm I'm annoyed with how much they dwelled on the block field goal miss because they they kept bringing it up throughout the rest of the broadcast. Like they showed that it was a missed call, which in my opinion it was a missed call. Oh yeah, it and was then a missed call. and then they like kept freaking going back to it. And I'm like, guys, can you just talk about the rest of the damn game? It's actually a close game. Why are you dwelling on? Well, I think that's why though is because they were like once they got into the end zone at the end, they said, well, they could have gone for a field goal here. If that other field goal had gone in, right? Just mathematically. But you're assuming the field goal goes in as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, Dan Bailey's pretty good. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, they could have probably gone on to talk about more things. 
I, it you was mean just it more from a narrative perspective with Bobby in particular. Yes, because— like, Why it, is the most spotlight on Bobby going to be a controversial play when he's played so well the rest of the game? It takes away from, I feel like, how good of a game he had, and that's why it, it bothered me. Yeah. Uh, the, the Monday Night Broadcasting crew in general is just, in my opinion, not very good. So You know, i got to tell you something. Uh, I mute him now. Can't do it. Can't do it. And it, it'll get better because I, I do have empathy for broadcasting teams. Starting, of course, we, we know how it is. You know, in the industry. Chemistry. But, but especially a game for our, you know, watching our team, like, man, can't do it. Like, and, and hopefully they get better. But Boog and, and Jason and Joe, unfortunately, Joe, it just doesn't fit to me. It just doesn't. It's it's doesn't it's fit. weird. And also, like, guys, do some damn research. Like, McFarland said something about how Kirk Cousins was a check, was captain check down, essentially, in, in uh, Washington. Yeah. You know, he was a dink and dunk passer. He he had the most twenty plus yard pass attempts last season. Yeah. Like I mean, it's just like like a basic fact that's like really annoying. It's like one of those things you just stereotype. Like like uh, you stereotype like a black quarterback as a running quarterback. Sure, you know, like uh, Teddy Bridgewater, right? It's it feels like that a little bit where it's just like your stereotype Talk about checkdown quarterbacks. <laughs> I mean, a Teddy little bit, and it's not about race in that regard. But you know yeah. what I mean? It's just about like. Like it you, seemed almost, uh, you're taking you know, a, a, it's so common that it becomes a false fact. And you, you yeah, know, like just, early in his career, he yeah. he dinked and dunked a lot because he was young. So th- then he is con- that's what he is labeled as for the rest of his career. But yeah, whatever. Trey Flowers played really well again. Love the tackle that he made in the run game. Ultimately, Seattle finishes this game with two sacks: one for Jacob Martin and one for Frank Clark on a third down. The one for Jacob Martin. Leads to a scoop and score by Justin Coleman. It reminded me that, you know, backbreaking play in the fourth quarter to really put it away and make it 21 nothing Seahawks. It was those types of plays in primetime under the lights with the national TV audience, a defensive turnover score. It reminds you of the Carolina playoff game, the Cam pick six. It reminds you of the 2012 game against the Niners, the Red Bryant blocked field goal, Sherman returned for a touchdown that it just it breaks down the dam and everybody's going freaking crazy in CenturyLink on a defensive score. That feel came back to me for the first time in a long time watching a Seahawks game. Yeah, and, and and the secondary, you mentioned it. I thought as a whole they played extremely well. Thompson didn't have a lot of big plays, but he played a really good game. Mm-hmm. Uh, McDougald almost had a pick in this game. Probably should have had a pick in this game, but had a lot or of two, yeah. but played really well. Yeah. You know, Shaq uh, played played well. No question he played well. Uh, yeah. Really, I would argue his best game of the year. Mm. Um, he's been a bit, I think, a little bit more inconsistent than I think a lot of people wanted to see this year. But he played really well. The, the whole secondary unit had flashes of like LOB back in the day to me. I mean, they shut them down, yeah, big time. And Kendricks being being there at linebacker takes a lot of pressure off of uh, KJ. He can get healthy for the postseason if they get KJ back, and they have Kendricks, they have depth at linebacker there. And you get Doug back, hopefully healthy. And Dion Jordan was flying around doing stuff. Yeah. And, like, tell you what, some of the parts, they're playing exceeding uh, what uh, their name value would suggest. Um, that being said, I got to give a lot of credit to Ken Norton and just the the game plan. To be able to double Diggs and Thielen, you're like, how are you able to do that? Like, But that's what they ended up doing, and suffocated those guys to a large degree. Not Neither of those guys really had a ton of explosive plays. Diggs, I know, had the big catch in one-on-one, and Thielen had the big you know, catch and run late in the fourth quarter when it didn't mean much, but exceptional game plan and execution in the secondary. I did enjoy watching Diggs have that big catch and then flex 
and then like immediately their drive ends. That yeah. that did make me smile. Yeah. Because, dude, it's like you haven't done dick all day. You're going to sit here and, like, flex and talk trash after one catch. Like, get out of here. Chips on your shoulders. Flex on them. Flex. All right. Well, anything else from this game? I mean, this was just... I mean, ultimately... A solid victory, even though there were some some holes to be filled. But, uh, to be honest, hard not to be satisfied. And you look up, it's December 11th, Perkins, and this team is basically in the playoffs. This is my advice to, to every Seahawk fan at this point. Enjoy it. Like, yeah, the team is not perfect by any stretch. They have a lot of flaws, and they have holes, many of them. They're not a polished team. But they've already exceeded expectations. They're borderline a lock for the playoffs. They're basically they're, they're going to get in after, the, a w- after this win. Enjoy it. It's house money. Mm-hmm. This is supposed to be a rebuilding year for this team. This is supposed to be – this was maybe, oh, no, is Pete Carroll on the fence because they might not win enough games and he'll get fired. This team is playing with house money. And yes, obviously you want to see them make as as deep of a run as you can, but just enjoy it. Yeah. Please. It feels like the opposite of last year, and this might be a podcast topic for later, but, you know, last year came in with all the expectation, and you looked at the schedule, and it was suggested soft schedule, and they missed the playoffs. This year, you look at everything on paper and the schedule, and you're like, this is going to be tough. Yeah. That October is going to be nasty. And they've clinched a playoff spot more or less by December 11th. I mean, it just shows you when we predict, when we have these conversations in the summer and in the preseason, like you cannot predict NFL football. You just no. can't do it. Well, and the NFC in general is a little bit soft this year, right? Yeah. Like, uh, Well, in the last month, you know, if we had this conversation a month ago, I think we'd be saying how difficult it is. Yeah, but a lot, of those, thing. A lot of those wild card teams have really fallen off. Like In the last month. Yeah. like But it's changed. Alex you know Smith I mean? getting injured completely changed yeah. the dynamic of that conference. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just Carolina right. falling off the wagon. Like, we were talking about them as a strong NFC team a month ago. Yeah. Off but, the wagon. But, I mean, just enjoy it. Like, is this team going to win the Super Bowl? Probably not. But just freaking enjoy it because, yeah. you know what, you're watching a, a fun football team, a, a bunch of young players that have a chip on their shoulder, that have something to prove, and the confidence. I mean, you you hear these guys talk after the game. I mean, I got to tell you, even when they were playing like crap, even though the, the, the thoughts creep in your mind of like, oh, crap, this is a classic – they're going to give up a lead. It's going to be 7-6, and Russ is going to have to pull something out of his ass again late. I feel so confident right now when they go them going into games. Like, I was not nervous about this game at all. It's because they can run the football and play defense. I mean— That translates. I, I mean, Every single matchup, it translates. Playoffs, that will change, you know, regardless of who they play, which is likely going to be Dallas. I'm going to be nervous for that game because Dallas is playing a hell of a lot better they're than they so were well. two months ago when yeah. these two teams faced off. Yeah. But— Man, I or just, Chicago, yeah, or Chicago, which you want no part of uh, Chicago January. Good God, no. Yeah, I we, mean, I know Seattle's built for that, but like, no, no. I, either one is tough, man. Either one's going to be tough, but oh, I'd certainly rather play Dallas. Special shout out Sheldon Richardson and Tom Johnson. You talked a lot of crap this week. Way to show up, guys. That does feel good. You're right about that. Glad we could slide that one in. All right, he's Brian Perkins. I'm Judah Newby. This is the Game Plan Podcast on 1029 The Game. Dot com. We will talk to you again Friday, previewing a potential playoff clinching victory against the San Francisco 49ers.